The primary election is almost here. Vote centers will be open May 7th from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. Make your vote count. Visit vote.indy.gov for more information. This message was paid for by the Marion County Election Board. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Second hour of the program. We'll talk some Reds and Colts galore. Plenty of free agency to get to as well. The deals are coming left and right. Pacers make a big splash. But speaking of splashes, how about those Cincinnati Reds? It comes to us via a scoreboard update from the star of the show, Network Indiana's Eddie Garrison. Thank you, Jay Cook. A pleasure to be with you and Nathaniel Finch. Tonight in downtown Indianapolis, the Cincinnati Reds, like you talked about, took on the San Diego Padres today. It was a 7-5 final in 11 innings. Let's take a listen to how it sounded on Bally Sports, Ohio. The player that hit the walk-off home run for the Cincinnati Reds was rookie Spencer Steer. Here's what he had to say after the game on the game-winning home run. Just trying to hit some ball hard in the gap. Um, hung a slider there at the end, man, and couldn't be happier to do for this team. I got picked off earlier in the game, and I think that cost us a win, so I was able to, you know, make something happen there. Where does this rank in your young career? I don't think I've had a bigger hit in my life right there. That was pretty awesome. Tell me about this team, the Rally Reds, and how it just continues to fit. Yeah, man, we just don't give up. We just don't give up. We keep fighting, and we, we just make stuff happen. It just it just seems like we just make stuff happen. That's all I can say about that. The last voice you heard was Spencer Steer, and the guy asking the questions, he was Jim Day from Valley Sports, Ohio. The Rally Reds part of this is the part to note. Juan Soto doubled in the top of the 10th inning. That gave the Padres a 4-2 advantage after Fernando Tatis Jr. scored. Matt McLean, he had two outs, and Tyler Stevenson was on base, and he ties it up with a two-run home run at four before the Reds score three in the bottom of the seventh in or the bottom of the eleventh inning to win seven to five. They're now six games over 500, 44 and 38. San Diego has lost six consecutive games. They're now 37 and 45. The game that precedes that, though, that happened this afternoon. It was a matinee game between the Chicago Cubs and the Cleveland Guardians, and it was a big offensive day for the Cubs. 13 total hits, 10 runners touch home as they win 10 to 1. Nico Horner was 3 for 4. He had 2 RBIs. Christopher Morrell had another home run. He had 3 RBIs for the Cubs and Justin Steele picked up his ninth win on the season after going six and a third scoreless while striking out six. Game two tomorrow will be aired on Fox. The Cubs are four games under 500 at 38 and 42. The Cleveland Guardians are 39 and 42. They're in the bottom of the seventh in Colorado. The Rockies and the Detroit Tigers 8-3 is still the score. Colorado is out in front. Jerickson Profar has two RBIs in Ezekiel Tovar for the Rockies has three. Harold Castro with two as well for Colorado. Five of their eight runs came in the second inning and the other three came in the bottom of 
the sixth inning. The Chicago White Sox, they did strike in the top half of the first inning. Eloy Jimenez single that scored Andrew Benatendi, who let the game off with a double. one nothing. they're in the top of the second inning out in Oakland between the White Sox and the Athletics. The St. Louis Cardinals and the New York Yankees, they were expected to play today. Rained out, postponed to tomorrow. They will play a doubleheader. Game one of the doubleheader will be at 1-15, and the nightcap from Bush Stadium will be at 6-15. Minor League Baseball, the Lake County Captains and the Fort Wayne Tin Caps are in the top of the seventh inning, and the Tin Caps, they hang up a crooked number. It's now 4-2 after a four-run top half of the seventh. There are two outs to Lake County and out away from sending this in the bottom of the seventh as Fort Wayne leads 4-2. The Louisville Bats, Indianapolis Indians. Scoring continues in this one. 14 combined total runs, 8-6 advantage for Louisville. They're in the top of the eighth inning. The South Bend Cubs lose tonight. They were in Beloit taking on the Skycarp. 5-1 was the final there. More to come on Indiana Sports. I'll get you a recap of today's practice session for the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio for the NTT IndyCar Series. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Eddie Garrison. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Bruce Brown is Indiana Pacer, two years, $45 million. We will dive into that still a little bit more a little later in the show. Scott Agnes will join us in the 11 o'clock hour. But Spencer Steer walking it off in impressive fashion for the Cincinnati Redlegs in extras. They knock off the Padres 7-5. to five. We are joined by one of our favorites, Olivia Ray. Covers all things Cincinnati sports for WLWT. But before we get into the sports scene, Olivia, you're as interconnected as anybody in that city. Why are you not out at Taylor Swift this weekend? What's going on? What's happening? I have to admit, I'm not a Swifty. Ah. I'm People paid more money for a Taylor Swift concert <laughs> than the wild card round of the playoffs <laughs> last year. That is a I I'm actually mad about it, to be honest. When I found out that stat, I was like, Cincinnati, do better. I, I admire you even more than I did before for that, because the thought that your mind would go to how are sporting events getting outplayed by Taylor Swift, and, and that's not even if you include on the secondary market. If you go there now, it will uh, flush red cheeks for some of the championship rounds that took place in the NFL or the uh, college ranks or even in the NBA finals most recently. I mean, it's, it's a very hard ticket to come by. It is, and I will say I respect her work. I I will drop the Joe Burrow line. I respect her work. I'm just not a Swifty. (laughs) That's okay. That's okay. I appreciate the clarity. I only ask because I saw uh, you had done a little bit of a a live hit uh, earlier this week regarding uh, Paycor Stadium being overtaken by the Swifties and Taylor Swift. So. Her show. I was blaming the Bengals because I took I took a stroll around the locker room the other week, and not a single one of them knew a Taylor Swift song. It took T five minutes of studying before he came up with one. So, man, that 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 does surprise me a little bit. I, I would think still that it, with all of the different people in our lives, that even as NFL players, somebody would have played a Taylor Swift song that would stick in the head. But uh, I guess we just got to shake that one off. Anyway, I'm done. I'm going to exit stage left. Um, so <laughs> when you when you look at the Reds, and it's hard to argue that maybe FC Cincinnati is not the best active story 
in that city right now. But great time to be a Cincinnati sports fan across the board. Let's start with the Reds. This is a team that now back-to-back Friday nights for me have thrown electricity off the charts. What's it been like to cover this team over this wild, wild run? Listen, I'm not a Reds fan. I didn't grow up a Reds fan, and this team is taking five years off my life. Just the last two Fridays combined, and they're easy to root for, and that's coming from someone who grew up a Cardinals fan. So it's just, I mean, they never say die with this team, and every time you think they're out of it and you're starting to write your scripts for post game, it's like just go ahead and rip that up. Put it through the paper shredder because they're going to pull out the unthinkable like they did tonight. I thought our mutual friend Greg Regstraw had tried to put the kibosh on you uh, announcing your Cardinals fandom publicly because we care about your safety in Cincinnati. Though I will say you and I are rivals this weekend then because I unfortunately am a Yankees fan. So we, 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 we both of us are mortal, uh, mortally despised by most of the league. It's okay. It's all right. <laughs> As, as you examine where this Reds team goes from here, it's happening in a wide variety of different ways, and it feels like if they're able to just acquire uh, maybe a starting arm at the trade deadline or get their own arms healthy, that this could legitimately be a team that contends to win the Central and maybe even make some noise in the postseason. They really does. And I for a while, it felt a little fluky just how they were falling into wins, and I think we put that one to bed with 12 straight wins last week and, and now doing it against some of the best teams in baseball. I mean, going uh, six games against the Braves this entire season and every one of them decided by one run. I don't know if you've tuned into the Braves game tonight. Shout out to another Indiana native. I was just listening to Brandon Godden on the call with the Braves, but I mean, they're stomping all over. I think they had 14 runs last time I checked the scoreboard. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, they just beat the Marlins 16-4. to So if that tells you anything about the Braves and what the Reds did with them, and now, I mean, the Padres, it's not like they have a bad offense by any means. So, I mean, it's it's not a fluke, but like you said, if there aren't arms found quickly or arms getting healthy quickly, they, I thought, would be limping into the All-Star break. It may be limping right outside of the All-Star break. Well, we're going to be following it very closely. Indiana, very much a melting pot for baseball culture with no primary team of our own. Olivia, always great to catch up with you. Uh, try to avoid as much of the Swifty traffic as you can, and, and hopefully for your sanity, uh, Bengals ticket prices will, will surpass that number uh, one day. Exactly. Hey, maybe even the Reds, and if Spencer Steer keeps flashing that farmer's pan like he did tonight, <laughs> then I think those ticket prices will go up, too. Thanks, Olivia. That's Olivia Ray. We'll be back with a conversation with J.J. Stankovitz, Colts training camp just a couple weeks away, back after this on IST. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. With this Indiana Sports Talk scoreboard updates, I'm Eddie Garrison. Practice today for the Honda Indy 200 at Mid-Ohio. If you're curious what the track is, it's the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course Pato Award. Yeah, the fastest lap speed, 122.250 miles per hour. Alex Pelot, second. Marcus Erickson, third. 
Christian Lungard fourth, and Kyle Kirkwood was fifth. Alex Pelot, who's second, he currently leads the NCT IndyCar Series in points. He has a 74-point advantage over Marcus Erickson, who's second. Earlier this week, he had a conference call, and he was asked about the challenges of Mid-Ohio. The issue at Mid-Ohio is that you have corners that are back-to-back, really tight, really high speed, um, and you don't really have too much time to breathe. So, yeah, it's very physical for everybody, especially the race. Um, We expect that it's going to be quite humid and and very warm. Um, So, yeah, it's physical, but I think it's, it's good. I mean... If, if you're in a good shape, um, maybe you can make a bigger difference by the end of the race. Um, so, yeah, hopefully we are right there. Hopefully we can uh, survive and, and be strong uh, to, to fight for the end. The Spaniard has won three of the last four races, and the one race that he did not win, that was the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Of course, Joseph Newgarden captured the checkered flag for his first Indy 500. He won the pole of that race, so it's been a very dominating stretch for Alex Pillow. Qualifications tomorrow afternoon. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Eddie Garrison. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Jimmy Cook, proud to be in the big chair once again, filling in for the coach, Bob Lovell. We turn our attention now to the Indianapolis Colts training camp on the horizon. Joined now by J.J. Stankovich. You know him as the senior writer for Colts.com, as well as the public address announcer for your Indianapolis Colts. J.J., how are we doing on a Friday? Doing great, Jimmy. Uh, there's never a bad time to talk football, right? Never, especially in June, even though folks might think, oh, it's this dead period, it's this gap, and it kind of is, but also there's plenty of storylines to unpack and get ourselves squared away and ready on the countdown to training camp, correct? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty to think about, plenty to talk about, because a month from now, we're going to be in the, the throes of training camp. Hard to believe it'll be here before we know it in the blink of an eye. And I do want to go to a couple different position groups and areas over the course of this conversation with you that are most intriguing, that have the most storyline potential with it, and where improvement is still needed. But before we go there, I do want to close the book and put the final chapter on the Isaiah Rogers saga. The news coming down a little bit earlier this week that Isaiah Rogers would be suspended by the NFL indefinitely for a period of at least one year due to him betting on NFL games. At one point it came out that I believe he had done an over-under on a prop bet for Colts rushing players. And again, as all those details came out, it ultimately winds up being a one-year indefinite suspension. The Colts move swiftly. Chris Boward with a, with a very eloquent statement on the matter that you reported on on Colts.com. As we kind of close this chapter in this weird era of gambling in the NFL, at least on the Colts front, what are your takeaways with all this now behind us? Yeah, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway, just thinking about the future of the Colts cornerback position, is, Jimmy, I saw a lot of people frame it as, well, the Colts, you know, they they lost a starting cornerback. Uh, And Isaiah Rogers was the most experienced outside corner on the roster uh, before he was suspended and then waived. But that didn't guarantee him anything. He was going to have to compete for a starting role or a key role on this defense. And, you know, the the Colts drafted three cornerbacks uh, in the second, fifth, and seventh rounds in April before anyone knew about this. So for, you know, under that backdrop, I think it's, it's important to contextualize this, that Isaiah Rogers 
you know, it, it's it's obviously unfortunate what happened, but he was not guaranteed to be a starting cornerback on this team. So, I, I you know, the, there was a very realistic possibility that you, know, you get through training camp and all of a sudden – even if he were on the roster, Juju Brents and Dallas Flowers or Darius Rush and Daryl Baker Jr. or, uh, you know, Jalen Jones and Juju, you know, whatever combination of kind of five guys could have been the starters there. So, you know, again, it's unfortunate. We'll kind of leave the statement that uh, Chris Ballard put out at that. But one where, you know, the Colts still have a lot of athleticism, a lot of traits at the cornerback position that Gus Bradley and the, the coaching staff are excited to work with. Who has the most to gain from that cornerback room with Isaiah Rodgers being suspended and ultimately let go? I kind of, you know, shy away from saying the most to gain on it, Jimmy, just because, you know, it is an unfortunate situation. Um, And I do think that all those guys would have still been in a position to compete, um, you know, for, for a key role, starting role on this defense. So I'm not sure anyone you know, gets bumped up necessarily because I think the Colts kind of went into this looking at it. It's like, all right, we got, got a lot of guys who are, you know, who bring different things to the table, but you know, are all going to be kind of equal going into training camp. I guess a, a better way to ask that. And, and I, I understand that, you know, with, with the fallout from Isaiah Rogers, we want to be as delicate as possible with it. But you mentioned that there's no guarantee that Rogers would be the starting quarterback mm-hmm. in a world where he's not a gambler. As you look up and down the depth chart, maybe not gain because you don't want to see it gained under these circumstances, but where is there a level of, of opportunity now who will the Colts turn to the most? Will it be those rookies? Will it be Dallas Flowers right away? Does it change anything for, for Juju Brents coming in right away as a thought to be starting corner? The the interesting question out of that is just how the Colts handle the fact that, you know, Juju Brents did not participate in the offseason program and on field work. That was expected. He had a wrist procedure uh, prior to the draft, so the Colts knew about that. They knew he was not going to be able to be on the field during OTAs. But Darius Rush uh, he, he had a bit of a hammy during uh, the offseason program, so he was in and out of the uh, the Colts on-field drills, um, you know, which did leave, you know, a lot of opportunity for Dallas Flowers, Jalen Jones, and Daryl Baker Jr. Uh, to step in there. But, you know, when he gets to training camp, I do think it's going to be pretty level, uh, you know, as, as we move forward with those guys. And, you know, the guys who the Colts run out their first team defense in the first couple practices may not be the ones who are with it, uh, you know, in the middle of camp. And then those guys may not be the ones who are there at the end of camp. And then those guys may not be, even be the ones who start week one. Uh, this is a competition that's going to go into the regular season, too. I think that's the important thing to note is that, you know, the Colts would obviously love to settle on a, you know, a starting duo of outside corners uh, with Kenny Moore in the slot. But if they do, you know, there's a chance that come week seven, someone else has earned a starting role. So, um, you know, this is one of those things where without those established guys there, the competition is going to really kick off at Grand Park on July 26th. And then it's going to continue, you know, through middle of the season, end of the season, potentially. J.J. Stankovitz with us, senior writer for Colts.com, as well as the public address announcer of your Indianapolis Colts. You can follow him on Twitter at J.J. Stankovitz. JJ, when you look at the opportunity in front of Kenny Moore as the tried and true veteran within that locker room, the conversation nationally was perhaps the Colts should go and trade for a veteran corner, bring in somebody with more experience to operate alongside Kenny Moore. 
That has not been the path they've chosen, and it appears Kenny Moore is going to be that veteran cornerback. How important is he to being somebody that the rookies and really everybody in that cornerback room can lean on this season? Yeah, Jimmy, it's a good point because not only is Kenny Moore the most experienced cornerback in the Colts cornerback room, but I mean, it's not even close. Dallas Flowers has played 174 snaps on defense in the NFL. Kenny Moore, he gets that in like four games, you know, three, four games, he'll get there. So, um, you know, when the Colts traded Stephon Gilmore, they did so knowing that they were going to get young at cornerback. But the, the the key there, you know, Kenny needs to be the example in that room. Um, I've heard nothing but really good things about how he's approached this offseason, uh, you know, how he's gone about his business since getting back in the building after what was a, a challenging season for him last year without an interception. You know, he admitted he didn't totally vibe with Gus Bradley in the way the Colts wanted to play defense, but Sounds like Kenny and Gus are on the same page. Kenny is you know, bringing a really good attitude to things, and that will continue as we get into training camp. Um, just one, one other thing on the corners here, Jimmy, is I think the defensive line needs to be a big help for these guys mm-hmm. where you, know, you have all these young corners. You don't want to put them in, in tough situations where, all right, you know, Juju Brents, it's your third NFL game. You've got to go man up, uh, you know, Calvin Ridley, let's say, uh, you know, good luck. Like, you know, get, get after opposing quarterbacks, create opportunities for those corners to make plays on the ball and not have to cover, you know, three, four seconds on, on difficult route combinations downfield. If the Colts pass rush can consistently affect the game in the pocket, that's going to be a huge help for the cornerbacks as well. One aspect that you and I have not discussed is Gus Bradley and the impact and continuity impact that he brings, the fact that he is returning and it wasn't an entire new system or scheme that would have to be learned by this Colts defensive unit. That was thought as a cherry on top at the time it was announced that he was going to be retained by Shane Steichen. In hindsight, how beneficial is that at this point in time, knowing how much unexpected turmoil has happened within the cornerback room? Yeah, Jimmy, you know, you you just think I think it's really beneficial for the core of this defense to be together again under Gus Bradley. The one thing that that this defense lacked last year while playing solid, you know, for the most part was turnovers. They didn't take the ball away a whole lot. They were, I believe, 18th in takeaways last season. And I think just, you know, second season with Gus Bradley, hopefully the return of Shaquille Leonard, that will have a significant impact on this defense. And that's probably where you'll see it the most. There's a couple other areas I want to dive into with you including position groups that have the most intriguing storylines and also look forward to what you have your eyes on going into training camp. Do you have time to stick around for one more segment? I do, Jimmy. Let's do it. We'll have more with J.J. Stankovitz after this on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. We're at this Network Indiana Sports Network Indiana Indiana Sports Talk scoreboard update. Matty Garrison, mind in other places at the moment. Colorado Rockies, Detroit Tigers, they're in the top of the ninth inning. Rockies have an 8-5 advantage on Detroit. They just put two runs up in the top of the eighth, so a slight of a comeback here from Detroit, but they still have a long way to go in the top of the eighth inning, needing three. Zach McKinstry leads off the top half of the ninth inning, so it's 7-8-9 do up 
for Detroit. Let's see if they can get it back to the top of the order and make some magic in Colorado. Chicago White Sox and the Oakland Athletics are in the top of the third, and Oakland got on the board. They put up a crooked number. They put up four runs in the bottom half of the second inning. They're now leading four to one as they are in the top half of the third. Other games going on right now in Major League Baseball, the Los Angeles Dodgers, Kansas City Royals. That's at the end of the seventh inning, 6-3. Dodgers in front. They're in the bottom of the ninth in Arlington, the Rangers and the Astros. 5-3 lead for the Astros. Hard of the order up right now for Texas as they're down two runs. The Minnesota Twins, they're up by a touchdown on Baltimore. It's 8-1. to one. That's in the bottom of the sixth inning. A couple games that are early, the Tampa Bay Rays and the Seattle Mariners. 0-0, that is going into the bottom half of the second inning. And the Arizona Diamondbacks and the LA Angels, they're in the top of the third, and Arizona's already leading 5 to nothing. For Network Indiana Sports, I'm Eddie Garrison. Welcome back to Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Jimmy Cook in for the coach Bob Lovell. We'll resume our conversation with J.J. Stankovic, senior writer for Colts.com, as well as the PA voice of your Indianapolis Colts. J.J., I know we talked a lot about the defensive side of the ball and specifically the cornerback room, but with the outlook to training camp clearer and clearer as the days go by, you've had an interesting series on Colts.com regarding these position groups. Of all these position groups, which one has the most intrigue for you as you prepare yourself for training camp i think tight end because to me that's kind of the key for unlocking what version of shane steichen's offense we're going to see you know if the colts are in a if they're going to be a run heavy offense you know if it's anthony richardson in his first year and you got jonathan taylor and the offensive line improves to be a run heavy offense you can do it out of 11 personnel which is three wide receivers one running back one tight end but sometimes those best offenses are, you know, let's line up two tight ends, get in 12 personnel, and just try to run it down your throat. Um, who emerges? And, you know, do the Colts feel comfortable if you are going with a lot of 12 personnel and running the football? Who blocks? Who are the blockers in that? You know, Mo Alley Cox would probably be one of them. But does Jelani Woods come along in that regard as a blocker in year two? Does someone like Pharaoh Brown have a, a sneaky benefit to making this roster because he has experienced kind of that Y inline blocking tight end. Or if the Colts are going to be an 11 personnel heavy team, maybe throw it around a little bit more with Josh Downs on the roster, Isaiah McKenzie Jr., who emerges as that, that F tight end, that kind of move tight end. Kylan Granson had a really impressive stretch during OTAs and minicamp. He looked really good. Uh, running around out there on 56th Street. But, you know, Drew Ogletree is a guy the Colts remain very high on as he nears his return from a torn ACL last uh, training camp. That question, you know, tight end just being completely wide open, uh, to me is going to be really fascinating because it's not just about, okay, who are the four or five guys who make the roster? It's about how does Shane Steichen view them and how does that impact how he wants to scheme things up for this offense? When I look at what Shane Steichen was able to do in Philadelphia, most notably with Dallas Goddard, and I I get it, he's probably a cut or two above of what this tight end room is right now in Indianapolis, but I think about how great it is, and this is true also across the NFL, to have a tight end one that's getting the majority of the reps that, that is as valuable as a wide receiver one in some impacts. What are the pros of doing it that way with a tight end one, and what are the pros of having a by committee approach? 
I think the, the benefit, Jimmy, for going with a tight end one is you're not predictable. Where if, you know, you, you know, you look at some of the best offenses in the NFL that have those guys, you know, Dallas Goddard's one of them, George Kittle, uh, you know, TJ Hawkinson, guys like them who can, who can block and catch is when they're on the field, it's not a tell. It's not a tell that, all right, well, 80% of the time when this guy's on the field, they run the ball. Or 80% of the time when this guy's on the field, they pass it. It's probably going to be closer to, you know, a 60-40 type ratio. So that, that in and of itself is a huge benefit, uh, you know, but you got to earn it. You know, you can't just say, we're going to put this guy in the field and, boy, he, he stinks at catching the ball, uh, you know, Ed, but we're still going to throw it to him. You, you can't do that. So if the Colts could have someone emerge in that role, uh, like a Jelani Woods, that would be that would be really important. The flip side to the versatility is you are able to play matchups a little bit better. So you know, hey, say there's one week where you know you have a, a secondary and a linebacking group that's really not that good at covering speed. All right, let's get Kylan Granson on the field. Let's get Drew Ogletree on the field. Maybe there's another week where you have a, a front seven that's a little bit more porous against the run. All right, let's get let's get our blocking guys on the field and let's just take it to them on the ground. Um, you know, having I think having that flexibility is important if you don't have the true number one guy. Heading over to the other pass catching room within this roster, of course, the wide receivers. I, I've been arguing for the last couple of seasons that it's very hard to get a true evaluation of what the potential is for the wide receivers that the Colts have on this roster because the quarterback play has been abysmal, to put it kindly. When you look at the idea of having consistency under center, regardless if it's Gardner Minshew or Anthony Richardson, and of course, there are different play styles and different levels of growth that either one of those quarterbacks would be dealing with in their own right, but just focusing on the pass catchers, how much area for growth and maybe finally reaching that potential for, say, a Michael Pittman Jr. or an Alec Pierce is at stake this year? Yeah, I think it's a really good point. Um, You know, Michael Pittman Jr. has been productive regardless who's been been throwing him the ball. Uh, But, you know, last year, you look at it, 99 catches and under 1,000 yards. Like, that's honestly, that's kind of hard to do, and that has nothing to do (laughs) with Michael Pittman Jr. That has everything to do with the Colts' offense last year as a whole. Um, you know, Alec Pierce is the one who I'm really interested in if there's just stability, you know, and, and you are able to have quarterbacks get the ball downfield with a little bit more frequency. That's where Alec Pierce is, is already a very good player. He still has some room to grow in terms of, you know, building out the rest of his route tree. And I think he, he's put that work in this offseason. But as just a, you know, go up and get it outside the numbers ball winner, like he can go do that. The Colts just didn't have many of those opportunities last year. They were, they had the second fewest passes that traveled over 20 yards beyond the line of scrimmage in the NFL behind only the New York Giants last season. So if they can just get that number to even like league average, I think you might see Alec Pierce add, you know, pretty quickly 150, 200 yards to his receiving total that will probably already grow based on just his natural development from year one to year two. Where is the best pathway or opportunity to make an impact right away if you're a guy like Josh Downs coming in as a rookie wide receiver? I think it's on on some of the, the option routes from the slot that he's just he's got such a good feel for getting open. Um, you know, that, that that will be an asset for the Colts early on. The the, the question with him and really this kind of goes along with Isaiah McKenzie Jr., is just like how the Colts use those two guys because they're, prim- they're both primarily slot guys 
but they both have very different skill sets. McKenzie's a guy, you get the ball in his hands and he's electric. So you try to do it, you know, you can get him on a jet sweep, you can get him on a bubble screen, uh, you know, stuff like that. You just want the ball in McKenzie's hands. Josh Downs is a guy who he's so quick and shifty that he can get open, you know, seven, ten yards down the field uh, pretty consistently. And I think that's something the Colts want to lean into. Uh, but he certainly is not going to be just handed a starting role in the slot. Again, it goes back to, okay, are the Colts going to be a 12 personnel or 11 personnel team? If they're 12 heavy, then that's, that means fewer opportunities for downs. If they're 11 heavy, then that means more opportunities for downs. But you still got to use Isaiah McKenzie Jr. in that role. Where is the biggest area of growth and opportunity in your mind for the Colts once joint practices with the Bears and the Eagles arrive? I mean, they're going to be huge for Anthony Richardson because, look, in preseason games, Yes, it's going to be live. Yes, he can get tackled. Uh, but he's going to be facing vanilla defenses and he's going to be running a vanilla offense because you're not putting anything remotely schematic on tape in preseason games. No NFL team is doing that. So for Richardson, those games, the, the games are going to be more about getting up to NFL speed and facing an NFL pass rush and you know, navigating a pocket where he does, he's not wearing a red jersey. The joint practices are going to, I think, significant growth opportunities for him in learning how to read NFL defenses. Because, you know, in those joint practices, you know, you would expect in Chicago, you know, the the Bears coming down with Matt Eberflus and Allen Williams, they're going to run probably some, you know, unique stuff. You know, Matt Eberflus is really good at disguising coverages, rotating safeties, uh, doing things to confuse a quarterback pre- and post-snap, and he proved that in his time in Indianapolis. And then you go, you know, with the Eagles, that the joint practice the Colts will have out there, um, you know, Sean Desai comes from the Vic Fangio tree, which plays a lot of difficult to play quarterback against coverages. Uh, I think that's really beneficial. You know, it, it would be one thing if the Colts had, you know, say the, the New York Giants coming in who are just going to play a lot of man and they're going to blitz a lot. Uh, you know, that's going to be hard for Richardson, but ultimately, the, you know, you're playing a lot of man-to-man coverage. I think that's maybe not easier for a quarterback to read out, but you don't have to, you're not disguising anything with that uh, in terms of the coverage. I think it's beneficial that you're going to have these two different kinds of, you know, zone-heavy defenses that are going to play different combinations of coverages. You know, he's going to see, uh, you know, cover four to one side, cover two to the other side. He's going to see, you know, a single high safety rotating up, you know, and having a two high look after the snap. He's going to see a lot of things that are going to be advanced level, complicated, complex things. And how he learns from those is going to be really important. JJ, really appreciate you making time for us. Enjoy your weekend. All right. Thanks, Jimmy. You too. That's JJ Stagovitz at Colts.com. We'll be back with more after this on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. With this Indiana Sports Talk scoreboard updates, I'm Eddie Garrison. NBA free agency started today. It got underway four hours and 45 minutes ago, so right at 6 o'clock Eastern. But predating that today, the Indiana Pacers announced, or well, it's expected that they have traded Chris Duarte 
to the Sacramento Kings. That, of course, is according to Sham Sharania of the Athletic and Stadium for draft compensation going from the Kings to the Pacers. The technicalities on what the Pacers are receiving from the Kings has yet to be announced. The lone move they've made so far in free agency on the Pacers front is that they have signed Bruce Brown, former champion with the Denver Nuggets, to a two-year deal worth $45 million. There is a team option on the second year. He's making $23 million in the first year, $22 million in year number two. And as far as free agents that are leaving the Indiana Pacers, only one has been announced thus far. That was O'Shea Brissett. He, according to Adrian Wojnarowski, at around 940 or so, that he has agreed to a two-year deal with the Boston Celtics. One of the bigger deals so far is Toronto's former Toronto Raptor Fred Van Fleet. He signed a three-year $160 million deal to go to the Houston Rockets. That was the first max deal that has been agreed upon so far in the free agency period. But the player with the most amount of money and a contract, that goes to Jeremy Grant. Four years, $160 million to the Portland Trailblazers. Hitting the post is Eddie Garrison with that scoreboard update. You can follow him on Twitter at Eddie Garrison underscore, a.k.a. The underscore. Always good to hear from him on a Friday evening. Nathaniel Finch is here as well. Nathaniel, I don't know your Twitter handle offhand. I'm sure that makes me a bad host, but if you want to gain a little follower traction, you want to give the fine folks a place where they can follow you on Twitter? ND Finch TV. There you go, at ND Finch TV, if you want to catch up with all of Nathaniel's interworkings. Eddie gave a nice rundown of some of the contracts that have been signed around the NBA to this point in NBA free agency, and it's only night one. A number of changes taking place out west, most notably of which with the impact here is Bruce Brown headed to the Indiana Pacers on that two-year $45 million deal. And as we talked about at the top of the show, it is fascinating to think of a starting lineup that could include any combination of Tyrese Halliburton, Bruce Brown, Benedict Matherin, and or Buddy Heald. Again, I'm naming six players here in a potential starting five. Jairus Walker and Miles Turner. And with what Bruce Brown is able to do both ways, it's very intriguing for where the Pacers want to go, especially on the defensive end. Other contracts gave Vincent three years, $33 million out in L.A. Max Struess, four years, $64 million for the Cavaliers. Kyle Kuzma, four years, $102 million to stay in Washington. That was a name that had been linked to the Pacers. Again, another potential option for them to go after. Ultimately, and Eddie and I had different wavelengths on this, but ultimately Kyle Kuzma wasn't the player for the amount it would cost to go get him that I would have wanted to be here in Indiana. Now, that being said, Kyle Kuzma has shown great strides over the last couple of years, particularly with his time to run the show in Washington. But somebody has to put up stats on a bad team. Now, all that said, Kyle Kuzma is still very young, but he chooses to be a part of a rebuild and wants a nice little payday in his pocket, and that's where he stays. The last domino that will potentially have implications throughout this process is what happens with Damian Lillard if the Trailblazers end up trading him. I mean, look, uh, Jeremy Grant being back, regardless of the amount of money they had to spend to get him, and boy, did they have to spend money to retain his services. If I'm Damian Lillard, that does nothing for me in my process of where I should go or where I should stay for my NBA future. 
he should have known this a couple years ago that Portland was not the place for him to try to contend for a championship. Yes, they've been to a Western Conference Finals before, but they got shown the door rather quickly by the Golden State Warriors when that happened. He's had some iconic moments, but Damian Lillard, unfortunately, is in a standpoint where he might wind up being the player that is forgotten about within this generation. Because if Steph Curry was not there, you're looking at Damian Lillard as the shooter, as the dominant guard of this generation. And it's not particularly close with this current era of NBA basketball. Alas for Damian Lillard, Steph Curry does exist. Steph Curry is here. And without that championship ring, with how we evaluate players in today's society... It's hard to not worry that Damian Lillard might be forgotten. He'll be remembered to an extent of, oh, who is that guy in Portland that hit all those big... Oh, that's right, Dame time, Damian Lillard. He'll be remembered once you think about it for a second, but he won't be the first name off the tip of your tongue. Now back to the Pacers, Bruce Brown coming into town. Again, we mentioned they would likely would not be in the Kyrie Irving sweepstakes, would not be in the Draymond Green sweepstakes or the Russell Westbrook sweepstakes, but a tier below that. And again, we make the jokes, oh, they're, they're waiting until free agency starts to begin these negotiations. Surely, right? There's no early goings process. There's no tampering going on. Not me with the Pacers. I mean league-wide because it's just so funny that all these deals rapid fire out of the gate, 601, 602, 603, when negotiations aren't supposed to start until free agency really gets underway. All that said, Bruce Brown is a valued impact player for a Pacers team that was in desperate need of depth on the wing. They get that with Bruce Brown. I wouldn't go as far as Tim Legler to say it puts them into championship contender conversations, but it puts them on the pathway to be a playoff team next year. We'll have more on the Pacers when we come back on Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. This is Network Indiana's Indiana Sports Talk. In for the coach Bob Lovell, I am Jimmy Cook. My last appearance, barring unforeseen circumstances, of the summer. In for the coach Bob Lovell, but we'll continue to have a revolving door of high-powered guest hosts, including... Our update man, Eddie Garrison, will be back in the big chair a little bit later this summer. Eddie, you are as big an NBA fan as I am. Let's get your takeaways first from the Pacers bringing in Bruce Brown. I know that you, uh, Eddie, I won't label you as an NBA front office penny pincher, but I know you'd like to find value. Uh, How did you feel about that deal getting done two years 45? Uh, I would like to correct myself. I misspoke when I said Jeremy Grant's contract. I said four years, $160 million. Five years, $160 million. Still too much money, in my opinion, uh, <laughs> to be handed out to Jeremy Grant. But that's neither here nor there. I'm just glad the Portland Trailblazers are the one wasting their money. Not the Indiana Pacers. But uh, uh, on the Blue brown front of things, I think it's a great signing for the Pacers. I mean, yeah, you overspend a little bit, but I think he brings an impact to winning, and that's the kind of player that the Pacers need because if they have aspirations of making it to the playoffs this upcoming season and they're trying to push for that fifth seed or even higher you know you never know how things will play out in the national basketball association so i really like the signing and i really like the fact that there is a team option on the second year and not a player option because if you get what you want if you get what you're looking for out of bruce brown from that first year you're able to opt in and then you can possibly even trade them so i mean there's some different avenues that you can go down with that team option on year number two Wizards are trading Monty Morris, the Detroit Pistons. That from Sham Sterania just a couple moments ago. We'll continue to update you on NBA free agency news as it goes on. Uh, Eddie, 
of all the other deals that have occurred outside of you've made your feelings very clear on a number of different programs, how you feel about the Jeremy Grant signing. Uh, but outside of that, anything else catch your eye of that's way too much money or, oh, I like that fit for that player? I really like the fit uh, that the Lakers – uh, got in uh, I, not even just Cam Reddish because I think he can fit into that rotation. Agreed. Um, I think if you give him some minutes, he can be able to play at uh, at a respectable level. And I think if you're putting him next to LeBron, you just ask him to go out there and shoot. Uh, that is one of his best uh, qualities. I really like Gabe Vincent with the LA Lakers. The defense that he can bring, what he can bring as a point guard, what he can bring down as a shooter. Uh, you know, as a, as a LeBron James fan, Jimmy, you know that uh, when you surround LeBron with shooters, there's a good yep. chance that he can make a run in the NBA playoffs. And that's what they what they have done so far. I'd like to see what they're going to do with Austin Reeves. He's still a restricted free agent, uh, but it's kind of wild to see the Lakers have made three signings already and two retaining uh, uh, re-signings, but uh, they have not brought back who I thought was their most impactful player last year outside of Anthony Anthony Davis uh, and Austin Reeves. Yeah, I think that's inevitable. Uh, a little less than thirty seconds here, Eddie. So you got to be quick. You just woke up from a coma and you realize your assistant GM either paid Fred Van. Vliet three years 130 or you're in Portland on that Jeremy Grant contract which is worse uh, I'm going to sleep again <laughs> that's Eddie Garrison you can find him every 15 minutes he's got a big scoreboard update coming up when we return Destin Adams Scott Agnes Brendan King still on the horizon here on IST